Section 12 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas and Yucatan, Volume 2, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. According to Fuentes, the chronicler of the Kingdom of Guatemala, the kings of Quiche and Cachiquel were descended from the Toltecan Indians, who, when they came into this country, found it already inhabited by people of different nations. According to the manuscript of Don Juan Torres, the grandson of the last king of the Quiches, which was in the possession of the lieutenant-general appointed by Pedro de Alvarado, and which Fuentes says he obtained by means of Father Francis Vasquez, the historian of the Order of San Francis, the Toltecas themselves descended from the house of Israel, who were released by Moses from the tyranny of Pharaoh, and after crossing the Red Sea fell into idolatry. To avoid the reproofs of Moses, or from fear of his inflicting upon them some chastisement, they separated from him and his brethren, and under the guidance of Tanub, their chief, passed from one continent to the other to a place which they called the Seven Caverns, a part of the kingdom of Mexico, where they founded the celebrated city of Tula. From Tanub sprang the families of the kings of Tula and Quiche, and the first monarch of the Toltecas, Nima Quiche, the fifth king of that line, and more beloved than any of his predecessors, was directed by an oracle to leave Tula with his people, who had by this time multiplied greatly, and conduct them from the kingdom of Mexico to that of Guatemala. In performing this journey they consumed many years, suffered extraordinary hardships, and wandered over an immense tract of country, until they discovered the lake of Atitan, and resolved to settle near it in a country which they called Quiche. Nima Quiche was accompanied by his three brothers, and it was agreed to divide the new country between them. Nima Quiche died. His son, Ashkopil, became chief of the Quiches, Cachiquels, and Zutujiles, and was at the head of his nation when they settled in Quiche, and the first monarch who reigned in Utatlan. Under him the monarchy rose to a high degree of splendor. To relieve himself from some of the fatigues of administration, he appointed thirteen captains or governors, and at a very advanced age divided his empire into three kingdoms, that is, the Quiche, the Cachiquel, and the Zutujil, retaining the first for himself, and giving the second to his eldest son, Jintemal, and the third to his youngest son, Ashigual. This division was made on a day when three sons were visible at the same time, which extraordinary circumstance, says the manuscript, has induced some persons to believe that it was made on the day of our Saviour's birth. There were seventeen Toltecan kings who reigned at Utatlan, the capital of Quiche, whose names have come down to posterity, but they are so hard to write out that I will take it for granted that the reader is familiar with them. 
their history like that of man in other parts of the world is one of war and bloodshed before the death of ashkopil his sons were at war which however was settled by his mediation and for two reigns peace existed in the reign of balam akan the next king of quiche while living on terms of great intimacy and friendship with his cousin zutuhile pap king of the zutuhiles the latter abused his generosity and ran away with his daughter ishconsosil and at the same time iloacab his relative and favorite ran away with Excelishpua, the niece of the king the rape of helen did not produce more wars and bloodshed than the carrying off of these two young ladies with unpronounceable names balam akan was naturally a mild man but the abduction of his daughter was an affront not to be pardoned with eighty thousand veterans himself in the centre squadron adorned with three diadems and other regal ornaments carried in a rich chair of state splendidly ornamented with gold emeralds and other precious stones upon the shoulders of the nobles of his court he marched against sutuhilipap who met him with sixty thousand men commanded by iloacab his chief general and accomplice the most bloody battle ever fought in the country took place the field was so deeply inundated with blood that not a blade of grass could be seen victory long remained undecided and at length iloacab was killed and balam akan remained master of the field but the campaign did not terminate here balam akan with thirty thousand veterans under his personal command and two other bodies of thirty thousand each again met zutuhilipap with forty thousand of his own warriors and forty thousand auxiliaries the latter was defeated and escaped at night balama khan pursued and overtook him but while his bearers were hastening with him to the thickest of the fight they lost their footing and precipitated him to the earth at this moment zutuhilipap was advancing with a chosen body of ten thousand lancers balama khan was slain and fourteen thousand indians were left dead on the field the war was prosecuted by the successor of balam and zutuhilipap sustained such severe reverses that he fell into a despondency and died the war was continued down to the time of kikatanub who after a sanguinary struggle reduced the sutuhiles and kachikels to subjection to the kings of quiche at this time the kingdom of the quiches had attained its greatest splendor and this was contemporaneous with that eventful era in american history the reign of montezuma and the invasion of the spaniards the kings of mexico and quiche acknowledged the ties of relationship and in a manuscript of sixteen quarto leaves preserved by the indians of san andres Chicul, it is related that when montezuma was made prisoner he sent a private ambassador to kika tanub to inform him that some white men had arrived in his state and 
made war upon him with such impetuosity that the whole strength of his people was unable to resist them that he was himself a prisoner surrounded by guards and hearing it was the intention of his invaders to pass on to the kingdom of quiche he sent notice of the design in order that kikatanub might be prepared to oppose them on receiving this intelligence the king of quiche sent for four young diviners whom he ordered to tell him what would be the result of this invasion they requested time to give their answers and taking their bows discharged some arrows against a rock but seeing that no impression was made upon it returned very sorrowfully and told the king there was no way of avoiding the disaster the white men would certainly conquer them kika dissatisfied sent for the priests desiring to have their opinions on this important subject and they from the ominous circumstance of a certain stone brought by their forefathers from egypt having suddenly split in two predicted the inevitable ruin of the kingdom at this time he received the intelligence of the arrival of the spaniards on the borders of soconusco to invade his territory but undismayed by the auguries of diviners and priests he prepared for war messages were sent by him to the conquered kings and chiefs under his command urging them to cooperate for the common defence but glad of an opportunity to rebel sinacam the king of guatemala declared openly that he was a friend of the teules or gods as the spaniards were called by the indians and the king of the zutujiles answered haughtily that he was able to defend his kingdom alone against a more numerous and less famished army than that which was approaching quiche irritation wounded pride anxiety and fatigue brought on a sickness which carried tanub off in a few days his son tecum umam succeeded to his honors and troubles in a short time intelligence was received that the captain alvarado and his teules had marched to besiege shelahu now quetzaltenango next to the capital the largest city of quiche at that time it had within its walls eighty thousand men but such was the fame of the spaniards that tecum umam determined to go to its assistance he left the capital at the threshold of which we stood borne in his litter on the shoulders of the principal men of his kingdom and preceded by the music of flutes coronets and drums and seventy thousand men commanded by his general atzob his lieutenant atzumache the grand shield-bearer apokab other officers of dignity with still harder names and numerous attendants bearing parasols and fans of feathers for the comfort of the royal person an immense number of indian carriers followed with baggage and provisions at the populous city of totonicapan the army was increased to ninety thousand fighting men at quetzaltenango he was joined by ten more chiefs well armed and supplied with provisions displaying all the gorgeous insignia of their rank 
and attended by twenty-four thousand soldiers at the same place he was reinforced by forty-six thousand more adorned with plumes of different colors and with arms of every description the chiefs decorated with the skins of lions tigers and bears as distinguishing marks of their bravery and warlike prowess tecum umam marshalled under his banners on the plain of tsacapa two hundred and thirty thousand warriors and fortified his camp with a wall of loose stones enclosing within its circuit several mountains in the camp were several military machines formed of beams on rollers to be moved from place to place after a series of desperate and bloody battles the spaniards routed this immense army and entered the city of shelahu the fugitives rallied outside and made a last effort to surround and crush the spaniards tecum umam commanded in person singled out alvarado attacked him three times hand to hand and wounded his horse but the last time alvarado pierced him with a lance and killed him on the spot the fury of the indians increased to madness in immense masses they rushed upon the spaniards and seizing the tails of the horses endeavored by main force to bring horse and rider to the ground but at a critical moment the spaniards attacked in close column broke the solid masses of the quiches routed the whole army and slaying an immense number became completely masters of the field but few of the seventy thousand who marched out from the capital with tecum umam ever returned and hopeless of being able to resist any longer by force they had recourse to treachery at a council of war called at utatlan by the king chinani valut son and successor of tecum umam it was determined to send an embassy to alvarado with a valuable present of gold suing for pardon promising submission and inviting the spaniards to the capital in a few days alvarado with his army in high spirits at the prospect of a termination of this bloody war encamped upon the plain this was the first appearance of strangers at utatlan the capital of the great indian kingdom the ruins of which were now under our eyes once the most populous and opulent city not only of quiche but of the whole kingdom of guatemala according to fuentes who visited it for the purpose of collecting information and who gathered his facts partly from the remains and partly from manuscripts it was surrounded by a deep ravine that formed a natural fosse leaving only two very narrow roads as entrances both of which were so well defended by the castle of resguardo as to render it impregnable the centre of the city was occupied by the royal palace which was surrounded by the houses of the nobility the extremities were inhabited by the plebeians and some idea may be formed of its vast population from the fact before mentioned that the king drew from it no less than seventy-two thousand fighting men to oppose the spaniards it contained many very sumptuous edifices 
the most superb of which was a seminary where between five and six thousand children were educated at the charge of the royal treasury the castle of the atalaya was a remarkable structure four stories high and capable of furnishing quarters for a very strong garrison the castle of resguardo was five stories high extending one hundred and eighty paces in front and two hundred and thirty in depth the grand alcazar or palace of the kings of quiche surpassed every other edifice and in the opinion of torquemada it could compete in opulence with that of montezuma in mexico or that of the incas in cusco the front extended three hundred and seventy-six geometrical paces from east to west and it was seven hundred and twenty-eight paces in depth it was constructed of hewn stones of various colors there were six principal divisions the first contained lodgings for the numerous troop of lancers archers and other troops constituting the royal bodyguard the second was assigned to the princes and relations of the king the third to the monarch himself containing distinct suites of apartments for the mornings evenings and nights in one of the saloons stood the throne under four canopies of feathers and in this portion of the palace were the treasury tribunals of the judges armory aviaries and menageries the fourth and fifth divisions were occupied by the queen and royal concubines with gardens baths and places for breeding geese which were kept to supply feathers for ornaments the sixth and last division was the residence of the daughters and other females of the blood royal such is the account as derived by the spanish historians from manuscripts composed by some of the caciques who first acquired the art of writing and it is related that from tanub who conducted them from the old to the new continent down to tecum umam was a line of twenty monarchs alvarado on the invitation of the king entered this city with his army but observing the strength of the place that it was well walled and surrounded by a deep ravine having but two approaches to it the one by an ascent of twenty-five steps and the other by a causeway and both extremely narrow that the streets were but of trifling breadth and the houses very lofty that there were neither women nor children to be seen and that the indians seemed agitated the soldiers began to suspect some deceit their apprehensions were soon confirmed by indian allies of quetzaltenango who discovered that the people intended that night to fire their capital and while the flames were rising to burst upon the spaniards with large bodies of men concealed in the neighborhood and put every one to death these tidings were found to be in accordance with the movements of the utatlans and on examining the houses the spaniards discovered that there were no preparations of provisions to regale them as had been promised but everywhere was a quantity of light dry fuel and other combustibles alvarado called his officers together and laid before them their perilous situation 
and the immediate necessity of withdrawing from the place and pretending to the king and his caciques that their horses were better in the open fields the troops were collected and without any appearance of alarm marched in good order to the plain the king with pretended courtesy accompanied them and alvarado taking advantage of the opportunity made him prisoner and after trial and proof of his treachery hung him on the spot but neither the death of tecum nor the ignominious execution of his son could quell the fierce spirit of the quiches a new ebullition of animosity and rage broke forth a general attack was made upon the spaniards but spanish bravery and discipline increased with danger and after a dreadful havoc by the artillery and horses the indians abandoned a field covered with their dead and utatlan the capital with the whole kingdom of quiche fell into the hands of alvarado and the spaniards as we stood on the ruined fortress of resguardo the great plain consecrated by the last struggle of a brave people lay before us grand and beautiful its blood-stains all washed out and smiling with fertility but perfectly desolate our guide leaning on his sword in the area beneath was the only person in sight but very soon bobon introduced a stranger who came stumbling along under a red silk umbrella talking to bobon and looking up at us we recognized him as the cura and descended to meet him he laughed to see us grope our way down by degrees his laugh became infectious and when we met we all laughed together all at once he stopped looked very solemn pulled off his neckcloth and wiped the perspiration from his face took out a paper of cigars laughed thrust them back pulled out another as he said of habaneras and asked what was the news from spain our friend's dress was as unclerical as his manner that is a broad-brimmed black glazed hat an old black coat reaching to his heels glossy from long use and pantaloons to match a striped roundabout a waistcoat flannel shirt and under it a cotton one perhaps washed when he shaved last some weeks before he laughed at our coming to see the ruins and said that he laughed prodigiously himself when he first saw them he was from old spain and had seen the battle of trafalgar looking on from the heights on shore and laughed whenever he thought of it the french fleet was blown sky high and the spanish went with it lord nelson was killed all for glory he could not help laughing he had left spain to get rid of wars and revolutions here we all laughed sailed with twenty dominican friars was fired upon and chased into jamaica by a french cruiser here we laughed again got an english convoy to omoa where he arrived at the breaking out of a revolution had been all his life in the midst of revolutions and it was now better than ever here we all laughed incontinently his own laugh was so rich and expressive that it was perfectly irresistible in fact we were not disposed to resist 
and in half an hour we were as intimate as if acquainted for years. The world was our butt, and we laughed at it outrageously. Except the church, there were few things which the cura did not laugh at, but politics was his favorite subject. He was in favor of Morazan, or Carrera, or El Demonio. Vamos adelante. Go ahead was his motto. He laughed at them all. If we had parted with him then, we should always have remembered him as the laughing cura, but on further acquaintance we found in him such a vein of strong sense and knowledge, and retired as he lived, he was so intimately acquainted with the country and all the public men, as a mere looker-on his views were so correct, and his satire so keen, yet without malice, that we improved his title by calling him the laughing philosopher. Having finished our observations of this place, stopping to laugh as some new greatness or folly of the world, past, present, or to come, occurred to us, we descended by a narrow path, crossed a ravine, and entered upon the table of land on which stood the palace and principal part of the city. Mr. Catherwood and I began examining and measuring the ruins, and the padre followed us, talking and laughing all the time, and when we were on some high place, out of his reach, he seated Bobon at the foot, discoursing to him of Alvarado and Montezuma, and the daughter of the king of Tecpan, Guatemala, and the books and manuscripts in the convent, to all which Bobon listened without comprehending a word or moving a muscle, looking him directly in the face, and answering his long, low laugh with a respectful, si, senor. The plan in the division of the last engraving marked A represents the topography of the ground in the heart of the city which was occupied by the palace and other buildings of the royal house of Quiche. It is surrounded by an immense barranca or ravine, and the only entrance is through that part of the ravine by which we reached it, and which is defended by the fortress before referred to, marked B in the plate. The cura pointed out to us one part of the ravine, which he said, according to old manuscripts, formerly existing in the convent, but now carried away, was artificial, and upon which forty thousand men had been employed at one time. The whole area was once occupied by the palace, seminary, and other buildings of the royal house of Quiche, which now lie for the most part in confused and shapeless masses of ruins. The palace, as the cura told us, with its courts and corridors once covering the whole diameter, is completely destroyed, and the materials have been carried away to build the present village. In part, however, the floor remains entire, with fragments of the partition walls, so that the plan of the apartments can be distinctly made out. This floor is of a hard cement, which, though year after year washed by the floods of the rainy season, is hard and durable as stone. The inner walls were covered with plaster of a finer description, and in corners where there has been less exposure were the remains of colors, no doubt the whole interior had been ornamented with paintings. 
it gave a strange sensation to walk the floor of that roofless palace and think of that king who left it at the head of seventy thousand men to repel the invaders of his empire corn was now growing among the ruins the ground was used by an indian family which claimed to be descended from the royal house in one place was a desolate hut occupied by them at the time of planting and gathering the corn adjoining the palace was a large plaza or courtyard also covered with hard cement in the centre of which were the relics of a fountain the most important part remaining of these ruins is that which appears in the engraving and which is called el sacrificatorio or the place of sacrifice it is a quadrangular stone structure sixty-six feet on each side at the base and rising in a pyramidal form to the height in its present condition of thirty-three feet on three sides there is a range of steps in the middle each step seventeen inches high and but eight inches in the upper surface which makes the range so steep that in descending some caution is necessary at the corners are four buttresses of cut stone diminishing in size from the line of the square and apparently intended to support the structure on the side facing the west there are no steps but the surface is smooth and covered with stucco gray from long exposure by breaking a little at the corners we saw that there were different layers of stucco doubtless put on at different times and all had been ornamented with painted figures in one place we made out part of the body of a leopard well drawn and colored the top of the sacrificatorio is broken and ruined but there is no doubt that it once supported an altar for those sacrifices of human victims which struck even the spaniards with horror it was barely large enough for the altar and officiating priests and the idol to whom the sacrifice was offered the whole was in full view of the people at the foot the barbarous ministers carried up the victim entirely naked pointed out the idol to which the sacrifice was made that the people might pay their adorations and then extended him upon the altar this had a convex surface and the body of the victim lay arched with the trunk elevated and the head and feet depressed four priests held the legs and arms and another kept his head firm with a wooden instrument made in the form of a coiled serpent so that he was prevented from making the least movement the head priest then approached and with a knife made of flint cut an aperture in the breast and tore out the heart which yet palpitating he offered to the sun and then threw it at the feet of the idol if the idol was gigantic and hollow it was usual to introduce the heart of the victim into its mouth with a golden spoon if the victim was a prisoner of war as soon as he was sacrificed they cut off the head to preserve the skull and threw the body down the steps when it was taken up by the officer or soldier to whom the prisoner had belonged and carried to his house to be dressed and served up as an entertainment for his friends if he was not a prisoner of war but a slave purchased for the sacrifice the proprietor carried off the body for the same purpose 
in recurring to the barbarous scenes of which the spot had been the theatre it seemed a righteous award that the bloody altar was hurled down and the race of its ministers destroyed it was fortunate for us in the excited state of the country that it was not necessary to devote much time to an examination of these ruins in eighteen thirty four a thorough exploration had been made under a commission from the government of guatemala don miguel rivera y maestre a gentleman distinguished for his scientific and antiquarian tastes was the commissioner and kindly furnished me with a copy of his manuscript report to the government written out by himself the report is full and elaborate and i have no doubt is the result of a thorough examination but it does not refer to any objects of interest except those i have mentioned he procured however the image of which a front and side view appear in the engraving opposite and which without my venturing to express a wish for it he kindly gave me it is made of baked clay very hard and the surface as smooth as if coated with enamel it is twelve inches high and the interior is hollow including the arms and legs in his report to the government don miguel calls it cabuahuil or one of the deities of the ancient inhabitants of quiche i do not know upon what authority he has given it this name but to me it does not seem improbable that his supposition is true and that to this earthen vessel human victims have been offered in sacrifice the heads in the engraving were given me by the cura they are of terracotta the lower one is hollow and the upper is solid with a polished surface they are hard as stone and in workmanship will compare with images in the same material by artists of the present day in our investigation of antiquities we considered this place important from the fact that its history is known and its date fixed it was in its greatest splendor when alvarado conquered it it proves the character of the buildings which the indians of that day constructed and in its ruins confirms the glowing accounts given by cortez and his companions of the splendor displayed in the edifices of mexico the point to which we directed our attention was to discover some resemblance to the ruins of copan and quirigua but we did not find statues or carved figures or hieroglyphics nor could we learn that any had ever been found there if there had been such evidences we should have considered these remains the works of the same race of people but in the absence of such evidences we believed that copan and quirigua were cities of another race and of a much older date End of section twelve